0: And we'll get him going here in a second. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him, and he will sort the people out much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter you who are blessed by my Father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation, and here's why. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then those sheep are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling this solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to someone overlooked or ignored, that was me. You did it to me. Then he will turn to the goats, the one on his left, and say, Get out, worthless goats. You're good for nothing but the fire. And why? Because I was hungry and you gave me no meal. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was homeless and you gave me no bed. I was shivering and you gave me no clothes. Sick and in prison and you never visited. Then those goats are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help? He will answer them. I'm telling the solemn truth. Whenever you fail to do to one of these things, to someone... Who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. Then those goats will be herded to their eternal doom, but the sheep to their eternal reward. The story of God told for the people of God, thanks be to God. You did that very well. I know that was a bit of a pivot. There's nothing quite like finishing a scripture reading that ends with goats being herded to their eternal doom and then looking to a group of people and asking them to join you and saying, thanks be to God. If you're like me, you hear that story, and instead of thinking, thanks be to God, you're thinking something more like, watch out, goats. The story of God told for the people of God, watch out, goats. No? Okay, we'll try that another time. This is a troubling story that Jesus tells in Matthew's gospel, especially the bit about the goats. I get so focused on those goats and their eternal doom that I tend to think more about that than I do the rest of the story. And that's not good because there's so much in this story and I need to wrestle with all of it. But I can't help thinking about those goats. And I'm not alone in my obsession. These goats and their doom have occupied Christians for thousands of years and we've come up with some pretty wacky conclusions about them. Conclusions that relish the opportunity to send goats to hell. Conclusions that are detached from the overarching biblical narratives of love and family and acceptance. Conclusions that place us in the judgment seat and condemn entire groups of people as if they were the goats in this story. Conclusions that make people want to watch out for God, if not dismiss God altogether. Now some of us may have heard this story presented as a court case where we are on trial and we're waiting for the verdict to come back to determine whether we are a sheep or a goat. For some of us this story has been taught as a future ending of the cosmic battle where Jesus comes back to save the righteous sheep winners and crush the unrighteous goat losers. And even if court cases and cosmic battles are not how we have approached this story we can probably all relate To thinking that it contains the formula for earning God's acceptance and entrance into the kingdom of heaven. It's as if it is a transaction or equation. And if we will just act like the sheep in this story, then God will accept us into our eternal reward. Whether we prefer the court case or the battle scene or the formula for conducting a successful transaction with God, all of these interpretations share a common warning. We need to get ourselves on the right side of the herd. Watch out, goats. I'm not ashamed to confess to you that all of these interpretations fill me with anxiety. How will I know if I've done enough to be called a sheep? How much food should I provide to the hungry to avoid being called a goat? How many sick people do I need to comfort? How many times am I supposed to visit the imprisoned? And am I supposed to visit any prisoner or just the ones that I know personally? And if I don't know any prisoners personally, am I exempt from that part of the equation? The formula is terrifyingly incomplete. I mean, if my status as a sheep or a goat, my eternal reward or doom is hanging in the balance, then a story short on details and specifics doesn't seem to make much sense. I mean, I guess you could say it makes sense if I was in charge. If I was God, these interpretations would work. I love court cases where justice is served. I like the battle scenes where the bad guys get what they deserve. I know some goats. And I kind of like the idea of them meeting their eternal doom. And if I were God, they'd need to watch out. I totally understand and appreciate you scratch my back, and I'll scratch yours. And if the goats don't scratch my back, then to hell with them. But that kind of flat moralistic thinking, that sounds like me. I can identify with it. Here's the problem it doesn't sound like Jesus, it doesn't sound like the good shepherd, the kind of shepherd who lays down his life for his flock the kind of shepherd that chases after one stray and carries it back to safety. That kind of shepherd is not okay with a portion of his flock being herded to their eternal doom. Something doesn't fit. Flat moralistic thinking is not what Jesus does. It's what I do. Jesus takes flat moralistic thinking, interpretations and understanding, and opens them up. The Gospels are full of stories where Jesus moves the boundaries and points his followers into paradox and mystery and depth and death. The truth is, if I'm willing to relinquish control, to die again and again, to follow my good shepherd, if I'm willing to do the work and let these stories work on me, the way of Jesus will always take me deeper. His teaching and example always invite me beyond my current understanding. So I have to ask, where is the new depth for this story about the goats? What if this story is not about who goes where when they die? What if we don't settle for court cases and cosmic battles and equations? What if we set those interpretations aside and instead ask the question, What are we missing? In his book, Stories with Intent, Reverend Dr. Klein Snodgrass asserts that the first thing we miss is that this story is primarily about the Christ. That in spite of my focus on doomed goats, the first function of this story is to communicate that the Son of Man, which is another way of referring to the Christ or the Messiah, is the King, the one with the authority to judge sheep and goats and all of creation. Snodgrass asserts that to the original audience of Matthew's gospel, the power of judgment was not optional. It was a requirement. To our ancient forebearers, if someone was going to be taken seriously as the Messiah, they had to possess the authority to judge. You can't be Messiah if you're not in charge. So that's where this story starts. There is a judgment seat, a throne for the Son of Man. And if we hear the beginning of this story, we'll hear these words again. When he finally arrives, blazing in beauty and all his angels with him, the Son of Man will take his place on his glorious throne. Then all the nations will be arranged before him and he will sort the people out, much as a shepherd sorts out sheep and goats, putting sheep to his right and goats to his left before this story says anything about the eternal reward or doom of sheep and goats it communicates that there is a single seat throne for all of creation and it belongs to the christ he is in charge he holds the power of judgment that's a pretty big detail i don't tend to notice when i focus on the goats Here's another detail that I miss. In Matthew's gospel, this is the last story Jesus tells before he is arrested. He tells this story in Jerusalem just before the plot to execute him unfolds. He tells this story two days before the Passover, just days before he will be crucified. So when Jesus begins this story, as we have already learned by talking about the Son of Man, blazing in beauty, coming with his angels to claim his throne, what is he describing? When is he describing? Is he describing to his followers some sort of second coming or the end of the world, things that still have not happened 2,000 years later? Or Is he describing events that his followers will witness themselves in the week ahead? Could it be that when Jesus describes the Son of Man blazing in beauty, claiming his throne of divine judgment, he is referencing his coming crucifixion and resurrection? That would be consistent with the testimony of the entire New Testament, which recognizes Jesus as the Christ, the Son of Man, who has already claimed his throne. The New Testament scriptures don't assert that Jesus will someday be king. They assert that he is the king now and forevermore. And if that's the case, then the judgment scene of this story, the one with the sheep and the goats, is not something that will happen in the future. It's something that N.T. Wright labels as happening throughout human history. Does that make sense? If we believe what the New Testament writers have to say, we're not sitting around waiting for Jesus to someday claim his throne. He's already claimed it, which means according to this story, the sheep and goats are also not waiting for judgment. It's been happening. It's happening right now. As Wright says, this judgment comes forward to meet us right here, right now, wherever we are. Now, if you're like me and you start thinking about the judgment of Jesus, you might think that that is something that only happens when we die. But this story doesn't say anything about death. And that's another important detail that I tend to miss. No one in this story dies in order to receive their judgment from the Son of Man the sheep don't die. The goats don't die. There are no references to death at all. Which may seem confusing to us because as modern listeners, we hear a phrase like eternal reward and we tend to think of heaven. And we tend to think of heaven as something that is accessible only after we die. But the word in this story that gets translated as eternal is the Greek word Ionios. Everybody say, Ionios. And that actually means without beginning or end. And that's an important distinction for us to grasp. The eternal, the Ionios, does not begin when we die. The eternal does not begin at all. The eternal has no beginning or end. It just is. If something is without beginning, be it reward or doom, as it is in this story, it doesn't begin when we die. It's eternal. It always has been. It is now and it always will be. The sheep and the goats in this story access eternal realities that have always been, are now, and will always be. No one dies in this story To gain access to their eternal reality. They don't die their way there. They live their way there. And that really brings us to the core of this story, doesn't it? What makes the sheep sheep and what makes the goats goats? How does the king know the difference between the two? How does he make that judgment? And as much as I may wish that it didn't, this story at some level is unavoidably about judgment which i don't like it's why i focus on the goats in this story i don't want them to be judged to their eternal doom judgment makes me uncomfortable in fact pretty much the only time judgment doesn't make me uncomfortable is when i'm the one doing the judging if i'm in charge i'm quite comfortable with judgment But this story has made it clear from the opening sentence that I'm not in charge. The point of this story is not for me to sit in judgment of others. The Son of Man, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, holds the judgment seat. He is in charge. And that's a good thing because his judgment's not like my judgment. It's not shallow and limited, it's not selfish and detached, standing apart from that which is judged. Divine judgment is up close. It's in and among, like a shepherd is with his flock. This judgment is something different. Reverend Dr. Snodgrass would encourage us to understand the judgment in this story as conveying one holy truth. What humans do or do not do matters. This life is not a simulation. This is not a video game. What we do or do not do has impact and effect far beyond what we can measure or understand. What we do or do not do matters. And we know that, don't we? I do. At least I think I do. I think I just overlooked this holy truth in my rush to make this story about who's going where when they die. It's a detail that I miss. One final detail within this story that I have far too often missed. Neither the sheep nor the goats recognized Jesus the king as the recipient of their care or neglect. Neither group knew what they had done. They're both surprised to find out that Jesus they helped or failed to help was incognito. This story can't be about a transaction. It can't be an equation for achieving sheephood because the sheep have no idea that they did. The sheep are not sheep because they intentionally set out to serve the Christ. The sheep are not even sheep because of their doctrine or the confession of their sins or the profession of their faith. They're not sheep because they said the sinner's prayer or listened to Christian music or had the little fish emblem on the back of their car. They're sheep because they served and cared for the least, the last, and the lost. That's the only criteria. Similarly... The goats are not goats because of their sin, or their immoral living, or their lack of faith. For all we know, these goats may have been the pillars of their faith community. They're goats because they failed to serve and care for the least, the last, and the lost. This judgment that Jesus brings is different. It says what we do or do not do Matters. It says those that care for others are with the Christ, whether they know it and profess it or not. And those who fail to care for others are not with the Christ, no matter what they may profess or declare. Even the imagery of separating the herd helps drive this point home. Separating sheep and goats highlights the reality that up until the moment they come before Jesus, they have lived together indistinguishably, at least to each other. Neither the sheep nor the goats knew what they had done. Sheep and goats living together, all of them unaware of the Christ among them. Only the expertise of the king can know which is which. And the expertise of this king declares that our posture toward and presence with others has consequences. It forms us. The sheep and goats are recognized and separated by how they have held humanity. Those that held humanity as beloved and accepted showed up to love and accept And as a result, they unknowingly live into an eternal inheritance of divine relationship. They don't earn their way to a future reward. They're already there living it. And those who do not recognize the sacred in themselves and others fail to love and accept and offer care. And as a result, they're unknowingly blind to the very real divine relationship offered to them in every common encounter. The king is not casting goats into their doom. They're already there. They're living it out. For the last several years, I've had the privilege of assisting Chris Estes and Ryan Jacobson in leading a weekly dialogue called What is the Bible at Haven for Hope, the recovery and homeless shelter downtown. In fact, what is the, Bi- the, what is the Bible class that we offer here at AHUMC during the school year began at Haven for Hope. Ryan, Chris, and I all agree that it was only after a couple of years of hosting and shaping the conversation with our sisters and brothers in recovery that we developed the courage to try to host the same conversation at the church. The reason being is that it's a dialogue of questions and doubts and not too many answers. Participants are not invited to bring their certainty to the table. They're invited to keep the space between us open, letting the uncertainty and the tension work on us. We wrestle with God's story, we wrestle with each other's stories, and it can get pretty messy. About a month ago, it got really messy. I showed up with Ryan and Chris and set up the room just like we have done each and every week for the last five years. The three of us have led this 60-part dialogue seven times, and we're in the process of our eighth and ninth. We know the material. So when I looked at the day's topic, it was easy for me to remember all the other times I'd helped lead that particular dialogue. I knew what to expect. I knew what would happen, except I didn't. One of our brothers in recovery An older gentleman who at that point had been with us on and off for about six months listened quietly to the dialogue as he usually did each week. He can't read along with us because his eyes are failing him and he's legally blind. And if anyone speaks too softly, he lets us know that his hearing is failing too. He's a religiously skeptical man, and from what I've learned, rightfully so. He carries within the pain of those who have overlooked the details. Those would, who would condemn him as a goat for his mistakes and his addiction. And he would be the first to tell you that that includes him. He condemns himself. This man has accessed eternal doom. He has been to hell. In his own voice is one of the voices that is convinced he deserves it. Over the last five years, one of the things I've learned is that the road to recovery for most people around here will at some point come face to face with a religious fundamentalism that overlooks the details and declares all kinds of misguided and incomplete ideas in the name of God. I can't tell you exactly why. I can just tell you that it's so. Recovery And religious fundamentalism cross paths, and in my opinion, at the worst possible times and in the worst possible ways. Because of that reality, this highly intelligent and thoughtful man, a man who I've witnessed earnestly seeking the divine, has been told that his addiction, something over which he has no control, is a sin that separates him from God. He's been offered the idea that if his faith was strong enough, his addiction would be cured. That God has the solution to his problems, but is waiting for him to earn it. He's been offered countless transactional formulas to say the right prayer or profess the right statement about Jesus or believe the right way in order to get on God's good side. He's been told that his lot in life, his addiction, his homelessness, his blindness, his failing body were predestined for God's glory. He's been called a heretic and a blasphemer. He's been dismissed as a goat, bound for eternal doom that he thinks he deserves. Now he carried all of that and I'm sure much more that I don't know about with him as he slowly walked into our dialogue at the end of October. He listened for 45 minutes through what I thought was an amazing dialogue. Seriously, the whole group was on fire. We were having an amazing discussion. Ryan and Chris and I were crushing it. We were inviting people into deep theological truths. The whole thing was a big win for Jesus. At least that's how I saw it. But it's not how he saw it. And with about 10 minutes left in class, he raised his hand to ask a question. Now, I won't share everything that his question included, but I will tell you that some of his pain and baggage and frustrated search for God came out. I will tell you that his question was the most transparent, authentic, and vulnerable thing I have ever experienced at Haven for Hope, and it rocked me. I will tell you that in spite of the wonderfully rich and theologically deep dialogue we were all having in the room that day, his question ended up with him shouting, And spitting and crying at us that he needed help. That he couldn't see like he wanted to. That he couldn't hear like he wanted to. That he couldn't believe like he wanted to. That he couldn't find the God that everyone else seemed to find so easily. And he didn't care if he was going to hell because he was already there. And he was scared of dying alone. Everything stopped. In what felt like an hour, no one moved or spoke. We all just absorbed the terror and the isolation of what he had shared. Those who were moved to tears by his confession let the tears roll down their cheeks but did not move to wipe them away. And when I knew that I had to speak, I could only muster two thoughts. I thanked him for inviting us in, and I looked him in the eye, and I said, You are not alone. Friends, I can tell you that the last five minutes of our gathering that day were an example of what it looks like when the eternal reward breaks loose on earth. The sheep in that conference room leapt into action and it was heavenly to behold. They couldn't help it. It wasn't calculated. It wasn't transactional. It wasn't pandering to their self-esteem or looking for credit. Someone needed help and they couldn't stop themselves from responding. We witnessed the natural Instinctive, uncalculating behavior of hearts that hold humanity as sacred. The sheep in that room did not think they were helping Christ and getting a gold star. They helped because they could not stop themselves from helping. Their behavior came from who they know themselves to be and who they know all human beings are sacred, beloved, accepted, family. Tears, presence, embraces, confessions, solidarity, promises, plans, and assurances filled the room and covered our elderly friend. His posture, his demeanor, his presence shifted right in front of us. He smiled and wiped back tears. He couldn't help but recognize that he was not alone. We watched someone who was convinced that he was a goat, suffocating under the weight of a lifetime of corrupt conclusions about his identity, received some sort of spiritual CPR from a bunch of sheep who couldn't help themselves. They practically carried him out of our meeting on their shoulders, and each week since, they've carried him back. Sheep and goats. We are shaped Others are transformed. The world gets changed. Eternity is accessed, not when the world ends, not when we die, right here, right now, through us, by the ways in which we show up to each other. What we do or do not do matters. In the name of Jesus the Christ, our good shepherd, may we all live like it.